You've heard of the fantastic four. Have you heard about the not-so-fantastic form causes of low back pain? Welcome back to the Omega Sports Learn to Run podcast. My name is Dr. Matt Minard, pronounced my nerd, rightfully so, and I am honored to be your host. If you are new, welcome. I am so glad you found us. Here's how this works. This is your show. You vote on the topics. I create content around that topic around all my social media platforms. If you are a regular, welcome back. I continue to be humbled and blown away by the growth week after week. If you're a visual learner like me, go and check out my YouTube at learn.to.run because I post these episodes and then I include some visuals in addition to the visuals of this podcast. That way we can kind of connect the dots. If you're a visual learner, make sure to check out my YouTube for visuals. What was the voted topic? Voted topic this week was low back pain in runners. so glad we picked this one or you picked this one because it's so common. It's so common that up to, it's been reported that 60 to 80%, let's say it again, 60 to 80% of people will experience low back pain in some point in their life. That is a crazy high number. When we talk about movement is medicine, motion is lotion. I want to make sure that when it comes to running, we're not doing anything that is setting us up for more stress than we need through your spine. That's the topic. Going to break this up into two parts. The first part is going to be going over these four. There's four of them. The not so fantastic form causes of low back pain. Those four are one, the stomper. Two is the lumbar locker. Three is the sloucher. And four is the collapser. The second part, I'm going to go over some workplace tips. If you are someone that sits as a part of your job at a desk or on a computer, I want to make sure I set you up for success. I'm going to talk all about your setup, the royal strategy, how you can adapt the world to you and not you to the world, and try to stress yourself the least amount, both physically and mentally, when we're at work. As always, what's some foundational knowledge? What's some information that will be good to know going into these four form faults? First, I want to go over some basic anatomy of the spine. And then I want to go over some of the range of motion, the directions of movement that our spine can move. And the reason for this is that when it comes to these four separate form faults, a lot of them have to do with certain motions or amplification of some of these range of motions. And we'll talk about what part of the spine is going to be stressed to give you a better idea. The more you know, the faster, the safer that you go. So first, the anatomy of the spine. Your spine is like one long road with three different names. If you live in Charlotte, there's like 25 Sharon roads. There's 10 different Queens roads. It's not even that complicated. It's like one long straightaway. And there's some slight deviations or changes in the road, but it's all the same. 
your spine, if we go top down, we've got your cervical spine. There's seven different bones or vertebrae. We have your thoracic spine. There's 12 separate bones or vertebrae. And then we have your lumbar spine. And their lumbar spine consists of five vertebrae. Lower than that, we do have your sacrum. That's where during development, those separate vertebrae fused to create your, sal- your sacrum and also your tailbone. Why is that important? Well, think about this. If we were to imagine that your vertebrae, those bones, think of it like a textbook. Each different textbook represents a different individual vertebrae. If I have all these textbooks stacked on top of each other, and I'm trying to move that stack side to side, forward and back, what could I do to enhance or improve the range of motion? Well, I could put a spacer. I could put a spacer between each textbook or each vertebrae, and we call that the disc. We call that the disc. And the disc is like a waterbed. It's like filled with fluid. It helps with shock absorption. It helps improve range of motion. Now, if we have all those different little mini waterbeds between those textbooks, it's more mobile. We can move it. That's the point of our disc is to help with shock absorption. And there's another piece of the spine that helps to keep all of the vertebrae or all the textbooks together. All along the backside, there's what's called facet joints. Facet joints. There's different names for them, but the role is the same. A joint is just where two bones come together, and it helps to facilitate and connect each level for movement. These are important because when it comes to this different range of motion, we'll talk about what's being stressed, what's not being stressed, and just have a bigger overall picture. Moving on, range of motion. If you're in a position where you can do this with me, go ahead. If not, just kind of visualize it. Range of motion. I'm standing up tall. As I were to bend forward, if I were to try to touch my toes, that range of motion that my spine goes through, the entire spine, we call that flexion. Flexion. And when we go into that position, that's where we are putting a little more weight through that disc or through that waterbed. Versus when we stand up tall, we're actually only stressing that disc around 70%. Whereas sitting or bending forward, we can go upwards of over 100% of stress on that. The next one is range of motion is going backwards, bending backwards, bringing your hips forward, your shoulders back, reversing that curve. We call this extension, extension. I'm going to give you a quick story. It's a tangent, but there are some people on this podcast that will listen to this. They'll know what I'm talking about. And there's some that actually can get some great opportunity to get some good information to potentially help with their back pain. Years and years ago in New Zealand, there was a physiotherapist, they call him there, named Robin McKenzie. There was a guy that had low back pain, that pain radiated down his leg. And back then, all they knew what to do was what was called Williams exercise, or they just bent more. They did a flexion. Everyone was bringing their knees to their chest. They didn't really know a whole lot. Like a lot of things in life, we learn by accident or mistake. Mr. Robin McKenzie didn't know that in treatment room one, that table was arched up. It was elevated. He thought it was flat. And so he says, all right, Mr. Jones, I'm running a little behind. 
go in room one and go on your stomach and I'll be there in about 15 minutes. Rob McKenzie comes in. He sees Mr. Jones on his stomach arched all the way backwards into this extension or extended position. And he freaks out. What are you doing? Get up. You're going to hurt yourself. Mr. Jones gets up. He says, you know what? I don't have any leg pain anymore. And this is the best my back has felt in months. And then years of research and methodology and tons and tons and tons of application. It's taught in, last I checked, it's over 40 countries, the McKenzie Method. 70% of people that have pain or discomfort with sitting or bending forward, those people will be responsive to this extension range motion, bending backwards. As always, consult with the provider, but that's just a fun fact, how therapeutic that can be. Moving right along, bending forward was flexion, bending backwards, that was extension. We have next is rotation. Feet stay planted. I'm rotating my shoulders and my hips towards my right. That's rotation right. And I'm going the opposite direction. That's rotation left of your spine. And then finally, side bending, or what we call lateral flexion. I'm back to that neutral position. If I were to take my right hand and slide it down the side of my thigh and have my right shoulder go towards my right hip, decreasing that space between my ribs on that right, we call that side bending. Side bending. We have that both on the right and on the left. Those are important, again, because that's foundational knowledge. When it comes to these four form faults, we're going to reference that. So let's get right into it. The first of the four is the stomper. The stomper is the first type of running mechanics or form fault that could potentially cause low back. What's the fault? I like to categorize three different things. We're either bounding, which means we're blending upwards motion with running or jumping. We're braking. I also known as overstriding, but I call it either braking forward or braking back. Depends on where you're leaning. You're slowing yourself down. Has to do with your posture. And then twisting. Twisting or side-to-side motion of rotation is that third type of common classification that I'll use for form faults. The stomper is a bounder. The stomper is someone that is going higher than they need to, and they're hitting the ground harder. And not only that, they're not absorbing stress or impact very well. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Every time you leave the ground and you come back to the ground, that same amount of force is coming back up at you. The higher you go, the further you come down, the more stress, more force that your body has to absorb. And ideally, we want that to be the muscles versus the joints and the bones. Why is the stomper commonly cause low back pain? Well, it's because of that increase in vertical movement. Increase in vertical movement, what that does is that loads your spine. Those discs are very helpful to absorb shock, but repetitively over thousands and thousands of steps, if we're increasing that axial load or that straight down load to your spine, that could potentially cause too much too soon or too much loading to your spine, which can cause an injury. The second is that bounding is what I call the amplifier. Because commonly people will be bounding in addition to other form faults like breaking, it's not only going to amplify the other form fault, 
but it's where we can just get into trouble. We can just start seeing some compounding where compound interest is great when it comes to saving, but when it comes to compounding for injury, that's where we can get in trouble. Bounding can amplify other form faults. What are some clues that this may be you? What are some clues that you may be a stomper? And again, I still love you no matter what you are, and I'm here to help. The clues are the first one, you may have been told you're a loud runner, whether it's outside with somebody else, whether it's on a treadmill, you've been told you're a loud runner. And quick side note, what you can do, and I do this sometimes when it comes to corrections, is you could put noise-canceling headphones in or just earplugs, no music, and bone conduction. Bone conduction. If you are absorbing the impact with the muscles, it won't be that loud. It'll be quieter when you land. If you're landing and loading through the ground and not using the muscles ideally like we should, it's going to sound louder in your head. So what sometimes is both a diagnostic and a therapeutic, a correction, having someone put in your plugs and give them the cue, hey, I want you to run as soft and as quiet as possible. <laughs> Don't wake daddy is another term I've used before. But that can be a fantastic way to adjust or tailor your landing mechanics or your stomping by using noise conduction. Another clue is you could have a low step rate or a low cadence, somewhere around 145 to 150, 155. The reason for this is if we're spending more time up, up, up in the air, we're spending more time loading through the ground, that's less time to accumulate these steps. Typically, we'll see a lower step rate. The next one is you could see your wrist going above your elbows. If I were to stand in place and try to squat down and jump as high as I could, my arms would go upwards, my wrists would go above my elbows to try to assist in that upward motion. What we talked about running ideally isn't upwards, it's just forward. If your wrists are going up and down, you've probably heard me say before, like an axe killer, if my wrists are going up and down, up and down, that's a sign that I'm most likely bounding or stomping. Ideally, that's where we want to be that handsaw, forward and back, forward and back, wrist staying below the elbows. The other clue that you could see is either the data on your watch or you using your vision is this vertical oscillation or visual oscillation. Sometimes the smartwatches will give you this data, but what you could do is just look straight ahead, whether you're on a treadmill or outside, you're looking eye level at a stationary target, and ideally, it should stay relatively still. It shouldn't be moving up and down and up and down your vision. If it is, that's a sign that you may be stomping. What do we do to correct? What's the correction for this? Well, we learn to glide. And what that means is push with the tush, baby. Hip strategy. We're trying to push the ground backwards to propel your body forward without going up. Talk about on a flat road. If you are running on a flat road, our quadricep muscles, the muscles at the top of your thighs in the front, your calf muscles towards the backside of your lower leg, when we're on a flat surface, we don't need to use those muscles to propel us. 
They help absorb when we land. But if we're using those as part of that propulsion phase, that's where we're going to get a lot more stress, stomping, bounding, and jumping. Same thing. This is back to that analogy of the paddle in the water for a canoe. How I move forward is I push the water back. I merely just push the water back to move the canoe forward. Learning how to glide and using your hip strategy and the muscles that do this mainly is that glute max, that tush, push with the tush. Roll the world back to move your body forward. You can also use, in addition to just those cues, you can also use that tennis ball necklace where I show you how or you can purchase a tennis ball necklace, which is merely just a tennis ball filled with either pennies or metal washers for auditory feedback attached to a shoelace that goes around your neck and the ball is just in front of your center of mass. And your goal, your mission, is to keep the ball as quiet and as still as possible. And that can be a great feedback tool to change and conform your mechanics to glide with less up and down motion less sound with the ball, less the ball hitting you in the stomach. And then we can slowly take that tennis ball necklace away and mimic the mechanics. Where is the location? The final thing is where on the stopper, stomper, where is the location of pain typically experienced? Well, usually it's central. Usually it's low back towards the midline. Doesn't usually have a side preference. It's usually central, but that's a sign that you may be a stomper. Moving right along, the second one, the lumbar locker. Lumbar is just your low back, your lumbar spine, those five vertebrae. A lumbar locker, anytime we lock a joint out, locking a joint, we're putting a lot of stress through that joint. A lumbar locker is someone that when they're running, their upper body is vertical. They're not leaning at all. And to move forward without a lean means we're going to be locking out our low back. And so why is this problematic? Why can this cause pain? Well, earlier we talked about those facet joints. Those facet joints are what connect each vertebrae together. When I am standing in a relatively neutral position, those facet joints aren't compressed. They're not in contact with each other. But the moment that I start to bend backwards, those facet joints are now approximating and loading. And think about it, just like if I were to stand up on one leg, if I were to lock my knee out, the reason why I may subconsciously do this is energy expenditure. I'm trying to exert less energy. So by locking my knee joint, my quadricep muscle doesn't have to work at all. And I'm just relying on that congruency of the joint to keep me up. But you can imagine with gravity, my body weight, that could put a tremendous amount of stress on the actual joint. So if someone's running with their lumbar spine locked out and arched backwards, some of you may be familiar with what we call an anterior pelvic tilt or an increase in that curve of your low back. We'll see that while we're running. And here's the even more aha moment or where the compounding can really get us in trouble. Not only are we are compressing those facet joints, but because we are not leaning forward, we're going to be breaking or overstriding, meaning landing and loading through the ground in such a way that's counterproductive. If I think about running as a forward arrow, 
breaking is we're getting an arrow back at us that takes away from that forward motion. And anytime we're breaking, the amount of stress and how fast we get that stress is a lot higher. The combination of compressed facet joints with our center of mass being backwards and forced to land and load in front of us, that's where we can get into more trouble and causing low back pain. Four clues, four clues that this may be you. One, you may have a wear pattern on the outside corner of your running shoes, the back corner. Why is this? If you're vertical and not leaning, you're forced to land with your feet in front of you. And you're forced to land typically on that outside back corner of your heel. And we'll see the wear pattern there. That may be a sign that you're a lumbar locker. You may find that just even after running, if you just arch backwards like I showed you before, where I said 70% of people, this is helpful for them and therapeutic, you might say, Matt, I do that it hurts. It's sore. It doesn't feel good. Well, that may be a sign that this could be you. If we're constantly loading that position, it can cause too much too soon and cause stress or pain. So you may have discomfort with arching backwards is a sign that you may be a, a lumbar locker. Coupled with that is you may feel the urge to lean forward. You may feel like, oh man, it just feels like I need to bend forward, lean towards my shoes, really open up my back by bending forward. If you're someone that craves that, that feels good, that may be a sign that you're a lumbar locker. The other is something that we don't think about too often, but it's so, 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 so important, is where is your vision when you're running? Where are you looking? If you tend to be somebody that looks upwards, even higher than eye level, that's typically associated with this pattern of a lumbar locker if you're looking upwards. So what's the corrective? How do we correct this? Well, Talk about the stable stack and the hankle. The stable stack means that when you're standing, when we're aligning your posture such that gravity is working with us, not against us, we're stacking our shoulders over our hips, our hips over our ankles, and then we're learning how in that position, how do we lean forward? How do we hinge forward? We hinge at the ankles, not at the hips. That, coupled with some teaching someone, hey, this is what neutral spine is. Notice how when you do a low plank, when you do a high plank, when you're doing a push-up, notice how you tend to just arch your low back for support or stability. Well, here's why your body's doing that. It does that so you don't have to use your core. But we want to use your core. We need to use your core. The muscles are there for a reason. They're meant for this. They're not meant to just lock out the joints. So teaching somebody at stable stack, hey, here's what neutral spine is, where I don't have an extreme curve in my low back, I'm not bent and arched forward, I'm somewhere in that between zone, is what we call a neutral spine. And not only that, then I can work on some core strengthening, some core strength work, not sit-ups, not crunches, but can I do planks? Can I do a plank where I lift a leg up? So then four points of contact becomes three, and it's now a stable structure becomes an unstable structure, and your core has to make up for that lack of stability. Teaching somebody neutral spine, strengthening the core in that position, learning how to properly lean forward without locking out their low back is crucial for the lumbar lock. Where's pain typically located at or experienced with a lumbar locker? 
it's usually lower right and or left. It can be both, but it tends to not be as central. It tends to be a little bit more to the side, maybe two to three finger breaths away from midline where the facet joints are. That is number two, the lumbar locker. I wanted to take a quick moment. I wanted to tell you about some opportunities that I have for you that could potentially help you. Again, I've had many opportunities to have advertisements and have sponsors to you, and I really want to keep this pure for as long as I can. And a lot of you didn't don't know that I do have some other services available. So I want to take a quick moment to tell you about those. Again, my goal is through this podcast and my other social media platforms, my goal is most of you, you won't need a whole lot extra. Just from the words, the visuals, you can get enough of what you need to run smarter, safer, and faster. But for some of you, you may be looking for a little bit more. You want some more personalized options. I'm going to go over three options that I have for you. The first is the Learn to Run Club. This is a monthly membership that includes access to all my training plans, all virtual, 5K through full marathon. I've got two versions of each, whether your goal is to just finish the race or your goal is to PR. There's two versions per. Included with that membership is the seven-day mechanics experience, where I teach you seven skills over seven days that are crucial to efficient running technique. I talked earlier about that stable stack. I teach you step-by-step how to do that. You're watching me do it. I'm in your ear. You've got a workbook. Each day we're learning a new skill. The seventh skill is, you guessed it, push with a tush. That's the Learn to Run Club. The second option is for mechanics, the tennis ball necklace. You can purchase or you can make your own a tennis ball necklace from me. And then I teach you, using that tennis ball necklace for feedback, three skills. Arm swing, the lean, and the push with a tush. And I teach you what the ball should do, what it shouldn't do, how to conform your mechanics. And that is a tool that I can use to help teach you to know when you're doing it right. And then we slowly take away that feedback so we don't become reliant on it. Three skills, tennis ball necklace. The third option is we can do a one-on-one virtual session. You can do where you I show you how to film yourself. You send it to me. We set up a virtual appointment. We share. I share the screen. And I go over your mechanics. I take you through step-by-step. I create an action plan. There's discounts for Learn to Run Club members, or you can purchase it separately. Just wanted you to know that's what's out there. Okay, let's get back to the show. Okay, the third of the four not-so-fantastic form, causes of low back pain, is the sloucher. Oh, the sloucher. This is a lot with due to the pandemic. We're slouching, technology, gravity is just owning us. It's winning. The sloucher, what the fault is for this one, is it's breaking, it's slowing yourself down, but it's what I call breaking forward, where you're collapsed forward, your shoulders are in front of your hips, and as a result, by leaning, by hinging at the hips, not at the ankles, your center of mass stays backwards. You're forced to land and load in front of you, hence breaking or slowing yourself down. Why is this problematic? Why can this cause low back pain? Well, with the sloucher, there's an increase in that discogenic loading and less muscular absorption. So stand up tall, 
slouch. Drop your shoulders forward, take that curve out of your low back. Our body does that because it's it's easier, right? Our muscles don't have to work as hard, but by us learning how to align ourselves with gravity, we can stack and align everything up such that we have that more optimal posture. The increase in that loading of the disc and that slouching forward position, our body is not in a good posture or alignment to be able to withstand those ground reaction forces and that impact when it comes to running. What are some clues that this may be you? You may be a sloucher. Rounded shoulders. Pretty much if we just take you sitting at a desk, that crunched over position, and then we just stand you up and see you running, that's you. If you're doing that, that's this is the sloucher. You may, as a result, have tight hips, tight hips in the front. If you don't use it, you lose it. If we're always in this hip flexed or bent position, we're not opening up or extending our hip, bringing our thigh behind us, which is, guess what? The push with the tush. If you don't use it, you lose it. We may have some tightness in the front of your hips. And we actually tend to see more of a higher step rate with this, higher cadence over 180. And why is this? Because we're shorting up our strides so much, we're taking away that extension piece, that propulsion piece. Just like that analogy, if I'm in a canoe with a paddle, if I'm just doing a very, very, very small pushback of the water and then immediately taking it out and repeating, I have to take so many more steps or so many more strokes to make up for that lack of distance or stride length with each rep. So we tend to see higher step rate, 180 and above. The fourth clue we'll see for this, for the sloucher, is with the vision where the lumbar locker was looking up, the sloucher tends to look down. They're either looking towards their feet or just slightly in front of their feet to the ground. This may be a sign that you could be a sloucher. What's the corrective? What do we do for this? Well, similar to the lumbar locker, we learn the stable stack, how to align your shoulders over your hips, your hips over your ankles. We learn how to have that neutral spine. And we couple that with learning how to lean from that position. And we work on core strength, just like before. For this one, ideally with both, we want to work on the workplace optimization with sitting. But this one, even more so, it's imperative that we address the workplace and the proper sitting. And we'll go over that a little bit in part two of this episode. Where's the pain on this one? Typically, the pain is experienced for a sloucher on the lower right or lower left side of the spine. And typically, it can radiate into the glutes, towards the top of the glutes. It could be right side, it could be left sided, could be both if someone is a sloucher. The final one, the fourth, is the collapser. The collapser. Typically with the collapser, this is where we're seeing someone on one leg, they don't have the strength on that hip. Episode 10, I talked about the queen of the glutes, the hip, the gluteus medius, and I'm standing on one leg, that leg that's on the ground, when I pick that other foot off the ground, what's preventing my hip from dropping, from staying level, would be those muscles on the outside part of your hip. This is what a collapser is. And typically with that collapsing, we're going to see twisting. We're going to see as you collapse down to get out of that position, we're rotating, we're twisting as a result of that collapsing. That's the form fault. Why could this be problematic and cause lumbar spine pain? Well, There's asymmetrical loading. That side to side, that twisting, that commonly can stress the spine. 
There's a ligament in your spine in the disc that helps to keep the disc centered that goes around rings and rings. If we were to look at a disc from a top-down position, it kind of looks like a tree, the trunk of a tree where there's rings. The fiber orientation is opposite every other, and it's such that we don't have as much protection when it comes to twisting and turning. What are three clues that this could be you? Think about it. If I am standing on one leg and I don't have that hip strength that I need, a compensation that we'll see is my arms will go out wide. Just like a tightrope walker, they have wider arms. The wider they go out with their arms, it helps to increase their base support, which helps with balance. A lot of times we'll see someone running with their arms out towards the side. And with that, you'll see a lot of times that twisting. The wrists are going outside of the elbows from the back view, and we're twisting side to side with the arms out wide. A lot of times we'll see soreness or pain on the outside of the hips, on the outside. This is typically due to with that collapse, we're getting more tension and stress through the outside of the hip, the IT band, the insertion of that glute meat or the queen of the glutes. And typically with this, we're also having more of a narrow stance or we're landing across midline, which also puts a higher demand on those structures on the outside of the hip in a compromised position, a lot of times outside hip soreness. We'll typically see a lower step rate with this one. Because of all this extra time collapsing and going down and then twisting a roundabout way, fastest way from point A to point B is a straight line, not this roundabout circumduction kind of a position, we'll typically see a lower step rate as a result of that. Somewhere around that 150, 155 range. What's the corrective? Well, you guessed it. A stable stack. We've got to learn how to align ourselves that gravity is working with us, not against us. We have to learn how to lean at the ankles or hinging at the ankles, the ankle. And then we want to learn how to push with the tush, how to use those glutes to push straight back. This is something I've learned a long time ago that, uh, not doing it the wrong way, but I've learned just like the side to side motion. If you see somebody learning how to ride a bike, they just get the training wheels off. And if you see them going side to side, we don't cue them, hey, lean this way, lean that way, side to side. We tell them to push faster and harder. And a result of that, of learning how to push with a tush, learning how to push straight back, that takes care of the side to side. We don't have time to go side to side. We don't have time to twist because we're mastering that pathway of pushing straight back. Where's the pain typically experienced on the collapser? Well, a lot of times it's towards the flank or the outside part of the back and or towards the hip. Not midline, not even side of midline. It tends to be a little bit wider towards the outside part of the spine. That was the collapser. Let's talk about sitting health. So important. They say sitting is the new smoking. And I will tell you, I from experience, I had patients that I would see, I saw maybe back in 2015, 2016, they had neck and low back pain. We worked really hard to optimize their workstation, talk to them about debit and credit, how we're trying to spend the least amount when you're sitting. We're trying to stay above budget, not go in the red. Pandemic hits. They went from that workplace setup to home, the couch, the dining room table. They didn't have an optimal setup anymore. And guess what? A lot of them came back. Old pains started to reemerge. Sitting is so, so, so important where I'm going to talk about how can we optimize, how can we sit in such a way and or stand in such a way that sets you up for success. 
the three things I want to talk about. First is the stack. The second is your foundation. And the third is this royal strategy. The stack. So when you are sitting, ideally, the first thing is you are aligning your shoulders over your hips. That's the stack. Next, the foundation. Your foundation, if you imagine your belt line, your waistline, like the rim of the top of a bowl of water, ideally, we want to have that bowl of water level. We don't want that water spilling out of the back if you're slouching forward. We don't want to arch and lock out your low back and have all that water spilling out of the front. We're trying to find the position where that's even and level. And here's a trick. If you were to sit really, really low and see how hard or how challenging is it to get into that neutral spine position when you're lower versus hips higher, hips higher, hips higher than your knees. If you sit with your hips higher than your knees, it's so much easier and closer to finding that neutral spine. Stacking shoulders over hips, hips higher than your knees. And we want to think about the weight of our legs. If we have all the weight of gravity, we're just sitting back on our spine versus shifting some of my body weight forward into my legs that helps take a lot of stress off the back. I, I would say a lot of times, if you are sitting appropriately, if I were to come out of nowhere with a samurai sword, I would never do this, but if I were to hack off your lower legs, if you're sitting the right way, you would fall forward. You would lean forward. That tells me you have weight into your feet. If you're just chilling, sitting out on the spine, I hack them off. You're not going anywhere. We want to sit in such a way that the feet are flat and weight is into the feet. The feet are flat, ankles underneath the knees to try to take some of that weight away from your spine and towards your leg. So now that we know the stack, we know this foundation, we have this comfortable neutral position. This is where I talked about the royal strategy. Be a king or a queen. Adapt the world to you, not you to the world. Don't reach out in front of you and reach towards that mouse. Bring that mouse to you. Accommodate it to you. So you've got this little space, this little window where you can work and operate where there's the least amount of stress as possible. Be a king, be a queen. Adapt the world to you, not you to the world. The final good question that we always ask is, what about sitting versus standing? Should you get a standing desk? Well, our body likes variability. It doesn't like one static posture for too long. It doesn't like sitting for four hours. It doesn't like standing for four hours. If we can switch that up, that's the best bet. Most people, not everybody, but most people will enjoy a three-to-one ratio of standing versus sitting. They might sit for 15 minutes and stand for 45. They may do one-to-one, 30-30. You can try this out. But the only thing that changes, if you go from sitting to standing, now we have to stack your hips over your ankles. Before, it was just your shoulders over your hips. Now it's your hips over your ankles when we're standing. And the, now that the desk is up higher, we want to adjust our posture, the height of that desk, that I'm not hunched up or hunched forward. Ideally, standing up tall, have your arms, palms up in this L position, like your, if I were to hand you a heavy log, in that position with your palms facing up, shoulder blades down and back, that's the position that we'd like to be. By keeping this slight downwards force of your shoulder blades in your back pockets, 
that prevents your traps from activating the muscles on the top of your shoulders, where we tend to have so many issues, stress, anxiety, tension, neck pain. That's the only difference. When we stand, let's stack the hips over the ankles in addition. So the shoulders and hips and ankles are all in the line. And can we make sure the height of that is such that you're not you having a praying mantis arms of your arms up high or rounded out forward? Clinicians, I am so passionate about helping as many people as possible learn to run smarter, safer, and faster. I'm really shifting my focus now to teaching the teachers, physical therapists, chiropractors, anyone that works and helps runners. I want to help you be more successful. I had my first live course in North Carolina. It's approved through the North Carolina Physical Therapy Association for CEUs. I'm going to have more courses coming out. Depends on where you are, who you work with. So check out learntorun101.com. That's L2R101.com. And when ask you, are you a runner or do you help runners? Go ahead and click that help runners and see some of the options that I have for you. I would like to take a moment to thank the backbone the spine of the Carolinas in sports stores, Omega Sports. They have been keeping the Carolinas moving forward for over 40 years. I highly recommend checking them out locally or online. Of note, the views and opinions of this show do not reflect those of Omega Sports. For better or for worse, they are my own. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I love creating these for you. If you want to vote on the topics, you can follow me on Instagram, learn.run, where I'll put polls up every two weeks on Wednesdays, where you can vote on three topics. And again, you can also email the show at info at learntorun101.com, which will be in the show notes. I would so, so, so appreciate if you could rate, review the show, share with your friends. There are people out there that could use this information. The Omega Sports Learn to Run podcast is available on all major platforms. Until next time, bye.